But because God chose us in love before the creation of the world, it tells me that my salvation is a gift from God. He did not see anything good in me to give it to me. It was simply because he was good in himself. And therefore, though I was unlovable and unholy, he chose me so that I could choose him. What it also means is this. We need to be absolutely humbled by our faith. We can't think for a moment, well, you know, I read the Bible every day. I don't swear. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I I quit all those bad habits. I go to church religiously. I pray in tongues. We can't use these reasons to say, well, I deserve, you know, look at me. I'm saved. I'm clearly, look, look. No, it's not because of our righteousness either. It's simply because God's love that he chose us. So we have to accept and understand this great privilege of election that we are chosen. But secondly, that's the past blessing of election. There's the present blessing that we're all experiencing right here and right now, and that's in the next verse. He says, in love, he predestined us, right, to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us and the one he loves. That's the other big word here that's in this passage, that word adopted or adoption, right? So we have been chosen before the creation of the world, and that was something that happened way in the past before we existed. But now, as we exist, we are now what? We, are, we were predestined or we were chosen to be what? Today, we are chosen to be adopted. We belong to God. We belong to God because he has redeemed us with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. He has bought us away from sin and death, and he has given us new life and new identity and new status through the price of his son, Jesus Christ. I don't know if you know anything about adoption, literally, in today's day and age. People are adopting left and right. It's like a celebrity thing to do, and so a lot of people now, they're going all over the country, all over the world, and they're trying to adopt, like, Brad and Angelina, and this and that. And so it's a very trendy thing, and and I don't think that's why everybody's doing it, but um, I've kind of looked into this a little bit to understand, okay, so what goes into adoption? And what I found is that it can cost anywhere between $5,000 and $40,000 to adopt a child, domestically or internationally. Right? It can cost five because you can get financial aid and grants and all that kind of stuff. But if you don't qualify for any of that, it can cost $40,000 of your own money to bring home a child that was not born to you and, and your spouse. That's how expensive. And the reason why is because of the legal process, the background checks, the court costs. Because what you're doing is you're transferring an identity, a relationship from somebody who is not related to you to now become somebody who's related to you. Paul is using the language of adoption because at that time in Roman law, an adopted child had every right as a natural child. Which means this, if we today are God's adopted children because we've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, that means we have every right as his children. We have every right to his inheritance and his goodness. But it also means Because he is our father, we should live to please him. Remember, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. We are adopted as his sons, so we have access to his blessing, but we also now should live to please him. Let me give another example real quickly before we go on to the next point. 
Some of you may have uh, seen this Broadway show or even watched the movie. I'm old enough to have seen this movie in the theater, but it's the movie Annie or the Broadway show, right? It came out in 83. I watched it in the theater. Do the math. That's how old I am. Some of you weren't born yet. I understand. But this is a, it's, it's a, it's a, great, uh, it's a great story. And recently, um, my family and I, we went to Wheelock College and watched their theater group perform it. They did an ex- exceptional job. And, and next week, or this coming week, my sons are actually performing a few of the songs from Annie at school, uh, sort of like this musical program. And uh, they've been rehearsing it and practicing it. We've been watching the videos on YouTube and just uh, sort of been reacquainted with this great story. I didn't like it when I was a kid. I was too cool for school. But now as an adult, as I'm kind of looking back at the story and this little redhead girl who's an orphan, uh, I've really come to appreciate the story. But what it is is basically this. Annie is a little orphan, maybe like 10 or 12 years old. And uh, she, uh, uh, the, only, uh, the only semblance that she has of her natural parents is this little locket that she wears around her neck. Uh, that's the only sort of evidence or proof that uh, she had parents at one time existed. They had kind of left this with her. She doesn't know where they are and where they live and, and why she's separated from them, but she has this one piece of evidence. But she's growing up in this hard knock life, right, in this orphanage uh, under uh, Miss Hannigan, who's just like really terrible. She's half drunk half the time, and she's very oppressive to these orphan girls. And she's living in this, you know, very depressed state until one day... A very rich, uh, a a woman who works for a very rich man comes into the orphan and says, we'd like to adopt a child for the holidays. And Annie just happened to be in the principal's or the warden's, uh, warden principal, you you know, uh, Miss Hannigan's office at the time. And so she says she'll do. So she takes Annie back home to live in this millionaire's house for just a few days. And while she's there, all of a sudden her life is completely transformed. She goes from being, being this poor orphan who's down on her luck to this rich, she has food, she has servants, her room is as big as the orphanage that she was living in, she has everything. At the snap of a finger, everyone beckons at her call. Not only does she receive the blessing of living in this millionaire's home, now she has an affection for him, and thus she wants to please him. Because he wants to give her all these things to please her, and this relationship happens. And I'll let you read or watch or, you know, Go to the musical to watch the rest of the story. I, people always say I spoil these things, so I'll stop right there, okay? But uh, I think that's a perfect example of what our lives should be like when we understand this concept or this doctrine of adoption. That we, we weren't just poor. We weren't just abandoned. We weren't just down on our luck. We were dead spiritually. We're going to look at this in three weeks in Ephesians 2, but we were dead One pastor says, we were uh, dead and we were drowning and we were at the bottom of the ocean before Jesus jumped in, pulled us out, and gave us CPR and resuscitated us. It wasn't like we were a little bit alive and we had a sliver of growth and then the sun shone on us and then we, you know, thrived and bloomed. No, we were dead and rotten at the bottom of the sea until God in his love adopted us as sons. And how did he adopt us? Well, he bought us with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And so we have every blessing available to us from God. But that also means that we should live in accordance to his goodwill and pleasure. And what is that? To be holy and blameless. That means if God has chosen us in him before the creation of the world, we should live to please him. And some people will say, well, if I'm chosen, why do I need to please him? Doesn't that mean I already have a ticket to get in? Like, I can just live any way I want. And some people 
might not say that. They might not say, well, I'm chosen, so I don't have to live that way. They might not say it, but by the way they live, they proclaim it through their actions. They know the cross. They know Christ. They know the blood. They know the good news. They know the gospel. They might have even confessed it, their sin and, and, and asked for God to change their heart. But they live in such a way as to say, well, now that I'm in, I can do anything that I want. Because it's a gift, right? He won't take it back, will he? It's a gift. It's forever. I'm chosen. And that is a complete misunderstanding of this doctrine. Because in fact, what this is saying is this. The holiness and the blamelessness in his sight and living in accordance with his pleasure and will is actually the evidence that we are chosen. In other words, if you're not living as a child of God, you probably aren't a child of God. J.I. Packer, great theologian at uh, Regent College, wrote, the only evidence of a transformed life is a transformed life. So as adopted children, it's not an obligation to say, well, now I got to be good? Now I got to be righteous? No, it's evidence that you are his son, that you are his child. And it's a desire it might be acute at first. Maybe at first you won't want to do those kinds of, like you, you don't have a desire for the word or you don't want to give your money to the poor or you don't want to share your faith or go to church. Maybe at first it's acute, but it should be there. And if there is absolutely no hint of it, I would say we need to understand the gospel. We need to go back to the gospel and say, okay, do I understand what this is? This isn't just some exchange where he gets me in and then I can do whatever I want, whether I want to or not. But this is God choosing me before the creation of the world. And so we are adopted as children. That's the present blessing that we live in. He says every, every spiritual blessing, okay, the past blessing of election, the present blessing of adoption, and then we are also privy to the future blessing of unification. Now, I... I, I, I uh, I don't know, unification, I know that kind of puts some weird thoughts. You know, the unification church, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is what Paul says in verses 9 and 10. God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, in the fulfillment, in the future, to do what? To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In other words, what Paul is saying is in the fulfillment of all time, when everything is said and done, the fulfillment of God's will and purpose will be to unite God's creation with God's people as one under the head who is Christ. There will be a perfect peace, unity, and harmony that exists forever and ever under Christ the head. Now this is a very, very important thing that we have to learn because a misinterpretation of this, a misapplication of this could be fatal to your salvation. Uh, these days in the church, uh, I mean, this has always been a hot topic. Hell, literally, it's a hot topic. But uh, in church, uh, it's lately been a hot topic because there have been a bunch of books that have been written by pastors and church leaders. Uh, and, and they've been trying to express their view on heaven and hell and eternity and where people go and how they get there. Uh, one such pastor by the name of Rob Bell uh, wrote a book recently called Love Wins, which became a New York Times bestseller. Instantly he was criticized. Instantly people said, you know, who does he think he is? What's he talking about? There was a lot of controversy because 
Rob Bell considers himself to be a Christian, an evangelical Christian, yet in this book, Love Wins, which I think is a, a book that all of us should at least try to read. It's really easy. Before we... My, 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 my position is this. Before I criticize anybody, I'm going to read what they wrote first, and then I'll criticize them. I'm not going to criticize because everybody else is pointing fingers. Well, anyway, you read this book, and the reason why it's controversial is because he takes passages like Ephesians 10, and he misunderstands it. Because Rob Bell here says, okay, so uh, God loves, love wins, and so in the end, all things in heaven and on earth, in the fulfillment, all things including those who choose Christ and those who reject, angels and demons, cats and dogs, literally everything, in Rob Bell's opinion, will be unified under Christ. And he uses his own imagination to say things like, yeah, well, you know, after you die, if you didn't choose Christ, because God is loving, he'll give you another chance in the afterlife. And he goes on to, to point to different places and try to stitch together an argument that can only be considered one thing. It's universalism, that everybody goes to heaven whether you're good or bad. Everybody goes. But the reason why that's a misapplication of this verse is because it's inconsistent and contradictory to everything else that Paul writes in all of his letters. He wrote 12 other letters and everything he writes in this letter going forward and even the ones that preceded it, saying that God chose us and predestined us. So if God chose us, What does it mean then when in the fulfillment of time, the future blessing of unification, that all things in heaven and earth will be together under one head? It means exactly that. Those whom God has chosen, he will redeem, he has redeemed through the the death of his son Jesus, but he will also redeem and restore all of creation and they will together at once glorify God for eternity. That is heaven. That is what it means to be in Christ forever. And we have to understand this because what it means is this. He summarizes it here at the very end of the the section. Paul says, in him we were also chosen. It means this, we belong to God. He owns us, literally. He bought us at a price. Therefore, if we belong to him, we should do according to his will and his purpose. But secondly, Paul also says, we were chosen according to his plan, the plan of him who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will, which means not only do we belong to him, we have to depend on him. Because this is part of his plan. It wasn't like God was, you know, putting the story of history and creation together and says, oh, wow, the, 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 the forbidden fruit in Adam and Eve, ah, I didn't see that coming. So uh, I think what I'll do is uh, I'll let them suffer and then I'll bring Christ 4,000 years later. Oh, I didn't realize that, uh, you know, the people were going to sin. I'll just flood the earth. You know, it wasn't like God was just sort of uh, responding to every plot twist. God knew from before creation he had a plan. And we're thinking, well, that was a flawed plan because we messed it up, didn't we? Yeah, we did, but his plan was to do what? To adopt us to raise us up out of this mess. Why? So that he could receive the praise of his glory. And Paul mentions this four times, three times in verse 12, in verse 14, and in verse 6. And so we are chosen, so we belong to him. We have to depend on him because this is part of his plan. And we have to give him praise for his glory. 
Because otherwise, it would just be a mess that we are not a part of. We are not part of plan A, but we're part of plan B or plan C. But to be a part of God's plan is to live according to his will, to depend on him, and to give him praise. This is who God is and what he's done, and this is who we are. In other words, Ephesians is about taking what we believe and applying it to the way we live. Taking our faith and putting it into action. Taking doctrine and turning it into duty. That's what this letter is about. And we have to begin here because the opening of this letter tells us who God is and who we are. And Paul is so excited to talk about this because he knows that his death is about to come. But he also knows that God's perfect plan and perfect will will be fulfilled and that he will be perfectly united with the rest of the body of Christ under Christ, with all of creation, forevermore. And that's what Paul is excited about. Therefore, let me close by saying this to all of you here today. You are not an accident, but also this. You have a destiny. God has predestined you to do what? To give him glory and praise. Eugene, that's too abstract. What do you mean? I I need more details. No, that's all you need to know, the big picture. Because you can give God praise and glory by working at a bank. You can give God praise and glory by working in a school. You can give God praise and glory by going to Africa and digging a well. You can, go to, you can give God praise and glory by adopting an orphan in Haiti to live with you. You can give God praise and glory by giving the homeless man a coat to wear in the winter or warm soup to drink in the cold. This is part of God's plan for us to give him praise and glory by doing what he would do if he were here, but what he in fact is doing through his Holy Spirit through the church today. So if we are not doing these things, we are diverting from his plan and we are out of the will of God and we're literally rebelling. So your purpose is to give God praise and glory through everything that you do. I love that line, in the chariots of fire. I know it's overused and overdone, but it just is perfect. You know, uh, Eric Lydell, the guy, the first guy who broke the four-minute mile, it's what this movie was uh, based on, the chariots of fire. And, and in the movie, he said, there's that famous line. He says, when I run, which is what he's best at, what he's created to do, he says, when I run, I feel his pleasure. He's taking his passion, his greatest gift and contribution to the world, and he's saying, when I'm experiencing this high, I experience the pleasure of God. In other words, he's saying, I give glory to God through what I love to do most. So I would say, find what you love to do most. Do that for the glory of God. Stop slacking. Stop being lazy. Step up. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose, a destiny. You're not an accident. You're not lost There aren't some blessings that aren't available. They're all available to you, past, present, and future. So live up and live in to all that God has done for you because we are in Christ. And Paul said it 11 times, by the way. I don't know if you caught it. 11 times 
We are in him. We are in God. We are in his love. Let's pray together. Lord God, we um, thank you for uh, thinking about each and every single one of us before the foundations of the world were called into creation. Lord, we didn't just end up here by some random series of events. This didn't just happen. Lord, you didn't uh, react to our waywardness. You didn't just uh, send an emergency distress when all the world was falling apart. But this has always been a part of your plan from the very beginning before creation because this is who you are. You are a God of love. You are a God of grace and mercy and justice and goodness. And Father, though we might not be able to fully fathom all of the depths of the riches of your love, we know that you are God and we are not. And so, Lord God, may we take this opening doxology, this song of praise that Paul writes in Ephesians, and may we take every successive week that we read together and study together in this letter and receive it as our identification in you. May we receive it because this is who we are in relationship to you, to this world, and to one another. And Father, as you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing, Lord, may we live for you. May we turn our faith into action, our doctrine into duty. May we take what we believe and live it out in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our churches, in our jobs, everywhere for the praise of your glory. God, would you help us? Would you continue to seal us with that spirit that you've promised so that we can live for you in every possible way? Lord, help us to rest secure in what you've done and who we are so that our lives are completely, totally worshiped to you, God. So Lord, guide us on this journey that we're about to take in the coming months. Uh, Help us to really heed your words, to pay attention, to go deeper, to receive, to be blessed, but to be a blessing to you and to others. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.